Thanks for spending time with Fusion Community Church through our podcast. These can be accessed anytime through iTunes or on our website, fusioncommunity.church. We hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Andrew Fetter. In the beginning, God. If you didn't know, this is how the Bible begins. It's how everything begins. It begins with God. This incredible, massive overseer who is a fully engaged being that exists outside of our reality and yet is the one that actually gave us our reality. It's pretty fascinating to think back to before the universe existed. I mean, we're all familiar with differing opinions on how reality and the universe came to be. But there's one area where there is a large consensus, and that is that at one point in time, everything that is began. In one moment, there was nothing, and then in the next moment, there was stuff. And when I consider that moment, I've come to the conclusion that, that for me, it takes more faith to believe that, that all this stuff came about randomly in an instant on accident than it does to believe a heaven be, heavenly being kind of, kind of turned a switch on. This universe is so complex, far too complex to be an accident. The human body alone is too complex to be coincidence. I mean, think about it. Doctors still can't cure the common cold. Scientists still can't really explain something as, as, as weak and yet as crazy and common as gravity. And for 21 years now, there has been nobody able to answer this deep philosophical question. Okay, that's all I can stand of that song, just a few seconds, but, but seriously, who let the dogs out? We still don't know who let the dogs out, so, so many unanswered questions in our world. The other one, you know, my wife mentioned last night, she's like, what does the fox say? That's another one, right? What does the fox say? We don't know. The Bible begins by stating the source of all our answers, in the beginning, God, and then the next word written reveals incredible truth about God. The next word, created. In the beginning, God created. The very first thing God reveals to us about himself is that he starts new things. He brings life to new beings and apparently is amazingly creative. In the next few paragraphs, we're told that God chose to delicately and specifically create an atmosphere, an environment, a planet teeming with life and variety, (coughs) also that it could support his grandest creation of all. The only piece of creation that he designed in his image, man and woman. In fact, this is the account given in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, not a living body. Did you know that your soul was given a body? It was not your body that inherited a soul when you were born? And there is a difference here. If the focal point of my life is my body, then it when, when it dies, I'm done for. That's it. It's the end. That's the peak and everything else is disaster. The Bible says that God formed a shell out of the dust to temporarily house my soul initially And if that soul ever reached an expiration date, my soul would continue to live on. Whenever you die, your body dies, but your soul lives on somewhere. And we all make decisions in this temporary life where we want our permanent home to be when we breathe our last in this life. And it's a decision to be either with God or without Him. We're not a body that's given a soul. We're a soul that is temporarily given a body. Now, why does this matter? Because we live in a world that is contaminated and is bent on addressing all of our physical 
wildest dreams, all of our physical cravings, appealing to my body, appealing to your body, feeding us what we crave. As you scroll through social media, all of those ads exist to try to give you pleasure, to to find it, to make pleasure seeking and pleasure experience the focal point of your life, even if it lasts for moments. To make it the focal point, everything you're chasing, everything you're working for. The question is, have you realized yet that those physical cravings are really just distractions? Have you learned that physical health, yes, it's valuable, but nothing is more valuable than spiritual health. After all, your body will have an expiration date, your soul won't. Have you witnessed firsthand that a contaminated soul is defined by moments of no hope, no love, no joy? Over the last year and a half, we've been inundated with messages on television and through the internet and through our cell phones that have focused the public discourse on the the priority of physical health, public health. And when there's a disease and it's contagious and it's spreading, it's understandable that there's going to be a lot of conversation about public health. There should be. and, and, And the byproduct of that is it's going to elevate the value of physical health that society holds when every single day we're being given message by messages from medical professionals and contagious disease experts that are giving public statements about a real disease that's literally killing people and how it might be spread and 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 the dangers that it might cause. But as a person of faith in Jesus, directed by the Word of God, we sit in a unique tension. I mean, for anybody without faith in God, for anyone that doesn't believe that there is a heaven, that it's real, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, for somebody that believes that this human life is all that we get, there's a legitimate reason to be consumed with fear in the midst of a disease we can't see. And we we don't know how it will affect us if we get it. And I can understand why there's some in our society that think that they can, that there's this kind of assumption that, well, if we do these things, we can control who lives and dies. But as a person of faith in Jesus, the word of God tells me that it is God alone that holds the authority over life and death. No one else. Now, God has given us wisdom. He's given us authority and freedom in our lives to be wise and not sabotage God's plans for us, right? I mean, I am not encouraging you when you leave here this week, every door you walk into this week, to lick the door handle. That's a bad idea. You're going to get all kinds of diseases hanging out on everybody's hands, right? And even right now, you're thinking about how many hands you shook. When you walked in, you're like, where's the sanitizer? I need to clean my hands. I mean, it's the same thing. Skydiving without a parachute is just going to help you meet Jesus sooner than he planned for you to, okay? We have choices we can make that are wise, But aside from sabotaging God's plan, ultimately, we don't write our own expiration date. Our creator does. And the tension we sit in as believers leads us to have to recognize that our health as a human being, in a temporary shell of a human body, it has more facets than just physical health. Over the last year, there's been a ton of focus on physical health as the central focus of this pandemic. And I'm not criticizing that. So don't send me your angry email yet. But But the evidence is all around that with a heightened focus on just one area of health, there's other areas of health that have been negatively effective. Some have been completely destroyed. There's something called the seven dimensions of wellness that is widely considered as a way to kind of measure and encourage someone towards satisfaction and and happiness and wellness. It comes from a, a paper and a study that was done back in 1976. Originally there were six and then they added a seventh of environmental health. And, and, and you can kind of see in this graphic, here's the, the seven different areas. I know it's kind of hard to read. Um, I'll, I'll kind of work my way through them, but I'll start with physical health. It's in this kind of, this graphic. That invi- involves diet and exercise, sleep, proper amount of rest, uh, doctor visits, sickness, ongoing medications that you take, diseases you might contract, battling through those physical things. There's social or relational 
wellness. This has to do with the circle of people in your life, friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, interaction with other people. Spiritual health has to do with your inner life, your understanding of purpose and the way you prioritize what's most valuable to you. It's, it, it impacts how you act in, in the realm of love and kindness and compassion. There's vocational and career health. This has to do with you know, what you sense is your, your professional or, or job or, or career. It has to do with the roles you take in life. Parenthood t- deals with work-life balance, that you're not just working and working and working and not, not enjoying life. It has to do with what you sense is your contribution to the world. There's emotional health. This has, this has to do with so much interior stuff, how we handle heartbreak how we navigate crises, how we, how we deal with the baggage we experience in life through suffering because, because, make no mistake about it, every human being on the planet experiences suffering. And all of that stuff added together, then it, 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 it adds up to whether we're healthy enough or not to deal with stress. Stress management has so much to do with emotional health. There's environmental health, the world around you that is unique from anyone else and your stewardship of it. I mean, think about it. Every town or city has a park somewhere. Really, no no matter how big or how small, there's a park. Why? It's because as human beings, we intuitively know that just kind of getting out in nature, being in the world God has created for us because we have God's thumbprint on us, we're made in his image, just getting out and interacting in the world God has created for us, it has has an ability to kind of help us relieve stress. It helps us to cope with things in life. We we like that time of just kind of pausing and reflecting. And then the last one is intellectual health. This has to do with lifelong learning and creativity and curiosity. Now, there's a number of topics that you could dive into that involve multiples of these. Even the topic of mental health has to do with multiples of these. It's not just isolated to just one. But, but it's just kind of an idea. It, it's a cool breakdown of what it means to be well. Someone who's healthy. And yet, no matter where you might... If you took each one of these categories and said, one to five, where am I? You're not going to be a five in every single one. No matter any point in your life, there's always room for growth. There's always room for development. In every one of these areas, there's also contaminants in your life. And that's true whether it's a pandemic or not. And there are contaminants in our lives that we don't control. And they're creating pressure on that area. There's other contaminants in our lives that we have complete control of and we've allowed into that realm. And it's putting pressure on that area. If you're a Jesus follower... We know Jesus left no doubt in his direction for us about what we should prioritize our focus on more than anything else. It's the greatest commandment, right? Jesus is asked. They're trying to trick him. Of all the mitzvot, of all the 600 plus rules in the Old Testament, what's the greatest? Jesus says, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Love God with all your heart, the emotional component, emotional health. Love God with all your mind, the intellectual Love God with all your soul, the spiritual. Love God with all your strength, the physical. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor, relational, as yourself. This paper that was written in 1976, I think, is 1,976 years too old, right? Jesus already helped us cover this. Genesis 2-7 tells us that at our essence, we're a soul that temporarily has been given a body. And our spiritual health determines so much else about the quality of our lives Second to that is relational and social component of our health. And from there, the other five play into each one of those two in so many ways. Starting in just a few weeks, in the month of October, we're going to be kicking off a whole new series that's really going to run through the rest of the school year. And it's not a series that's four weeks or six weeks like we often do. This is literally going to be an eight-month-long series. But it's going to have eight different themes 
all along the way. And for the month of October, the month of November, the month of December, we're going to kind of dive in deep into each one of these themes. And we're, we're calling the series, I'm calling the series, Searching for a Better Life. Jesus said he came to give us life, give it more abundantly, to give us more and better life. So we're going to go on a search and say, okay, what does that look like? What, how do we actually discover it? What, what's, and, and what we find is that the heart of that is something called emotional maturity. When it comes to spiritual health, relational health, vocational health, all seven, there are limits to how far and how healthy we can get if we're still an emotional infant. Learning not to, you know, some of us, we'll talk about this in, in week one, but, but some of us, we, we, we suppress emotions. We try to deny emotions. We push it down until all of a sudden then the emotion explodes over anybody that's near us. We have to learn how to permit emotions, how to embrace emotions, how to recognize that maybe even God's spirit is trying to speak to us through the emotions that we're feeling. We need to grow in emotional maturity. And there's limits to how far we can get in the other realms if we keep our emotional level as an infant. So starting in October, so much of what we do as a church family is going to flow out of these themes. Our monthly discipleship rallies are coming back here in September. And it's going to be kind of a preparatory launch into this theme. It's the fourth Tuesday of September. And then every month after that, every discipleship rally is going to tie into that theme of the month. There's going to be a companion book for you to read called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There's going to be podcasts we're going to share throughout the week. We're going to have some, audible, some uh, audio discussions available uh, between people on the different themes that we're going to make available through the app. We're going to have Bible reading plans. There's going to be stuff you can talk about in your small groups, in, in our disciple maker groups. And I'm just excited to see what God wants to do through this journey. So I want to, and I want to invite you to join me in praying over it. What does God have for you? Make it a point to say, hey, I want to go on this journey. I want to see what God has to say to me over the next eight months. But, but in the meantime, before we get there, I want to do some prep work. I want to kind of work the ground before we start to lay a foundation and talk about emotional health. Because we have a society that's so focused on the external, we have to intentionally consider the internal, the inner life. I mean, think about it. There's so much emphasis in all that we see on, on your appearance. And we become consumed with appearance too. And we begin to judge other people based on their appearance. We make assumptions and, and, and we come to conclusions based on people's appearances. I mean, thinking about how we look defines us and gives us value. And that diverts our attention off the only thing that really gives us value in the inner life and our spiritual health and relationship to God. You know, it's interesting. If you are to search on Google, you'll find millions and millions of workout regiments, and diet plans, and body detoxes, and cleanses. You'll find millions of YouTube videos with millions of views. But when you look on this idea of getting contaminants out of your soul, when you look at this idea of detoxifying your soul, it takes a lot more searching to find something that's helpful. There's not near as much help given. So we have to ask ourselves, if the world around us is consumed with physical measures to try to improve appearance or dress size, obviously the world's contaminated with a self-centered, exterior, temporary pursuit because our body has an expiration date. I'm sorry, but your physical body will age whether you like it or not. Things won't function as well later as they did when you were earlier. And if you don't believe me, find a white-haired guy or a no-haired guy near you and he will tell you. That he has to get up to pee two or three times a night now, right? Maybe more. I mean, many of us, we don't even realize we're living in such a contaminated environment. And not only are we absorbing contaminants, but oftentimes your Google search history reveals you're seeking contaminants. Toxic stuff, poisoning your spiritual health. So today... And for the rest of the month of September, we're going to kind of focus in on a word that, that might communicate or carry a definition 
of the condition of our spirit. Today, that word is restless. Some of us are, are very restless in our spirit and breathing in secondhand poisons of a culture, and, and we, just, we just can't get any peace. We can't get any relief. We, can't, we just can't get any pause. If you're familiar with the story in Genesis that stems right out of God creating everything, in the beginning God created, he creates Adam and Eve. And, and you might be familiar with their two sons, Cain and Abel. If you are, you know that these brothers, um, that in these, that these two brothers, Cain begins to get jealous of his brother Abel's sacrifice to God because God accepts his sacrifice. So Cain lashes out, emotional outburst, emotional infant, murders his brother because he's mad. And as a result, God has this to say in Genesis 4 verse 11. He says, now, Cain, you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. He's basically saying, okay, you killed your brother, now here's the consequence. Here's the punishment you'll receive for this offense. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Many of us have restless souls, always searching, 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 never, never finding. Interested in everything, but satisfied by nothing. Inwardly, always spun up, always tight and constricted on the inside, and our RPMs keep going and going and going and going, and we may have times where we find rest for our body, but, but our mind, our spirit just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning, and we have anxiety, and we're tense, and we're worried, and we're concerned, and, and we just don't know how to shut it off. And even when we try to rest at night, it's so hard, it takes time or medication to fall asleep because it's just spinning and spinning and spinning, and internally our soul just has a hard time finding rest. It's restlessness. In fact, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he had some words to share of wisdom, for those of us that might wrestle with this restless spirit issue, someone who had so much on his, on his plate, so much demand for his time, the king of Israel, when it was at its highest peak, wealthiest, most powerful, Ecclesiastes 2, he writes this, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? What's the result of all that we work for and all that we spend for and all that we get all stressed out about? He says, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. I want to, would you be honest with yourself for a moment? You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to raise a hand. But how often are, are you wound up on the inside and you find it incredibly difficult to just calm down in your soul? Sometimes at night, you just keep going and going and going. You maybe even be with, with family and you just can't shut it down. Your mind and your soul rarely, rarely ever finds deep rest. Rarely do you feel you can escape from the restlessness. If this is you, if you say, hey, I think that's me, maybe God is speaking directly to you today. I mean, we all acknowledge that our body needs rest. We know we can only function so long without literally tipping over. But our soul needs to find rest as well. And it raises two questions. Where do we find rest for our soul? And how do we get rest for our soul? Well, King David, throughout the Psalms, has so many answers for this. But let me give you a succinct one. In Psalm 62, one, he says this, I find my rest in God alone. He is the one who saves me. My soul inwardly, internally, my true identity, who I am, only finds rest in the one who created me the way I am, God. I, I kind of have to recalibrate and get back to my core identity, not my job, not my role as a mom or a dad, not the things I'm passionate about, not, not as someone who has all these bills to pay. That's not where I'm going to find rest. I have to get back to my core identity, which is a child of the Most High God, a created being out of the creative capacity of a beautiful creator. 
In other words, there's no person, no thing, no experience, no vacation, no dream home, no car, no amount of money, nothing outside of God that can bring rest in the essence of who I am other than him alone, the one that made me. So ladies, what does this mean? It means there will be no man you'll ever find to bring you rest. Guys, no woman you'll ever find to bring you rest. There is no perfect body image you will get that will make you completely content for all time. There's no perfect job that will resolve all your fears about the future. There's no car that will bring you lasting fulfillment. No house that will give your soul rest. There's no amount of money that will usher in rest in your spirit. I mean, think about David. He's writing this. David's the king of Israel. I mean, this guy, really, he's kind of the essence of macho. I mean, he marches out onto a battlefield with no, no armor on, and he stares down the champion Philistine, Goliath, and he takes him down. And then he cuts off his head in front of both countries. This guy's macho. I mean, he says he, he, he killed a lion, right? He had more than everything we could collectively imagine. He even, at one point, tried to find what he was searching for in lusting over his neighbor's wife and then sleeping with her. And then she got pregnant, and he wanted to cover it up. So he basically arranged for the murder of her husband and then took her as his own wife. And yet it still didn't satisfy. It led to so much torment that he experienced that he wrote entire books of the Psalms because of. And David is saying, I've looked everywhere. I've tried everything. True rest is found in God alone. And David's a guy I think we should listen to because his life experience is far more diverse than any of ours. He can back up what he's saying with experience. His son, King Solomon, already said something similar that we read. He he said that all the toil and anxious striving of the day, it's meaningless. This too is meaningless. And so if today you're here, you're joining us online, and you're searching for purpose in life, You're seeking an answer to a problem that you have. If you're restlessly pursuing something or someone that you believe will fulfill your life searching, David and Solomon want you to know that you're going to be disappointed, that it's not going to pan out, that that your spiritual fulfillment in anything other than the one who created you, you won't find. It might be nice for a bit. It might be enjoyable for a bit, but eventually you'll be searching again. It won't be enough. Eventually, your peace will be upset, and you'll never find rest for your soul. Jesus had something to add to this topic of being restless in life. In Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy loads. This is some of us, not just in your body, but in your soul. You're stressed out. You find it difficult to show love to those you love most. Why? Because you're so revved up and you're wound up so tight. You're overwhelmed, you're tensed, you're worried, you're anxious, And it's not only physically, but when it really, really matters and who you are in your identity, you're questioning so much and you're battling so much. And Jesus is saying, just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. All you who are tired and carrying heavy loads, I will give you rest. Become my servants and learn from me. To be a disciple means to be a learner, a student of Jesus. He says, I am gentle and free of pride. You will find rest for your souls. So where do we find rest for our souls? The answer is God alone. Only in relationship to the one who's created us. Only in relationship to the one who has saved us. Only in relationship to the one who's redeemed us and restored us and promised us eternity with him. 
The second question then that, that, that I'd be asking if I were you is, okay, that's where, now how? How do I actually get that? How do I find that kind of rest? Here's what scripture teaches us. It's a lot simpler than we often think, and that's often why we dismiss it. Three things God wants us to understand about how we find rest in God. Psalm 4610, the psalmist says, be still. I know that I am God. And many of us are just like, well, I'm checking out. I'm done. I don't know how to do that. Be still, know that I'm God. Now, now, now let me state the obvious. He doesn't say, be busy and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be blessed and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be productive. Get a lot done, and then you'll see that I'm at work. He doesn't say, if you just worry more, if you're just more anxious, be anxious and you'll know that I'm God. No, he says, be still. Stop. Pause. Wait. And know. Not just know in your head, know in your soul that in the midst of what you're walking through, you be still and you know God's still on the throne. He's still the creator. He's still the redeemer. He's not shaken in his boots. This didn't catch him by surprise. You ever been around a kid that just can't sit still and you feel your patience wearing thin? Inside, you're like, would you just sit down and shut up, right? You're just like, close your mouth, like calm down. What do we have in the cabinet that will help medicate this kid, right? Some of you are like, I married that kid. Like, they never stop, right? Well, if you struggle with a restless soul constantly going, there's times you have to learn to discipline, to, to tell to your soul, stop. You have to create time in your calendars to, to sit and be still and close your mouth. King David said in Psalm 131, he had to do this very thing. Maybe re- write that down, Psalm 131, go and read it today or or this week, he had to take control and silence his soul. If restlessness is where you're at, one of the most vital disciplines you have to do daily is to be still before God for the sole purpose of just knowing him and remembering he's on the throne, remembering he's in control, remembering he's with you. Be still and know that he is God. Now, it's great to believe in Jesus. We have a lot of people in our society that say they believe in Jesus. And yet, their life is not marked by the fruit that demonstrates they're following him. Is that you? You say you believe. Is your life marked with disciplines and fruit that demonstrate? Not, not, not to be on, on a stage in, in display of everybody, but, but at home, quietly, the doors are locked, the shades are pulled. Does your life disciplines and and the fruits of your life are they demonstrating you are following Jesus you're obeying Jesus or is it just I believe isn't that enough I mean I believe that that's if I believe my sins are forgiven and then I get heaven right and then I can live my life the way I want to live it you can live your life the way you want to live it but you're gonna be miserable Jesus says learn from me I want to show you I want to set you free from not just sin but I want to set you free from from the damage you could cause your life in the future The freedom that I'm offering is so much bigger if you just trust me. Now, if you do believe, if you believe in Jesus, it is vital to be still every day with Jesus. It's hard. It's not easy, especially at first. You have to be relentless, but it is vital. And so maybe for you, the challenge this week is something that you've tried a hundred times before, but it's time to get back on the horse again. And it's you schedule in five minutes where you silence your soul and just sit. Now, for some of you, you can do this at home. You can do it first thing in the morning. Others of you, you, you don't even know what day of the week it is or what your name is when you first wake up in the morning, right? So maybe what you need to do is you need to plan to leave for work five minutes earlier than you normally do. So when you get to work, you can sit in the parking lot for five minutes and be still and know that he is God before you dive into your productivity for the day. 
to focus your mind on being still. To challenge your soul to take control of your mind by the power of God's Spirit. A second thing, Psalm 37. Uh Uh-oh, it's here again. Be still. (laughs) We already covered that, but good reminder. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. For those of you that didn't check out on the first one, you're like, that's it, I'm done. I'm not good at patience. And I don't want to ask God for patience because then He's going to give me a circumstance I have to be patient in, and I don't like that either. I mean, our culture is so impatient, isn't it? We pray like, God, God, I need patience. I need, God, I need patience. I just need patience. God, would you give me patience already? I need it. Come on. Help me. Right? We don't want to wait for anything. You, 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 think, you think, like, I was, I was very impressed with the majority. There were a few. The majority of people Friday night with, with just those that were visiting the Tillerson family here. I mean, it was a, there was a lot of people here. We don't, I don't even know how many. This room was entirely full with, with, with all the chairs out, you know, probably close to 400 people. And then there was probably at least that many that came through to say hello to the family in a, in a matter of, you know, two hours. So it was just a, a blitzkrieg of people just everywhere. And, and there was a lot of patience on display because we ran out of parking and people had to wait outside. The line was out this door and around the foyer and out that side and around the corner to, to just say condolences to the family. But we don't, you know, typically you, you want to see, see people, you know, lose things, go to the DMV, right? Like you just sit there on a chair and watch people lose their minds. You know, how, how often you go to the grocery store, you're getting your groceries and, you know, now you've got the self-checkout line. Now you've got a whole other thing you've got to measure. Before it was like, okay, which cashier looks the fastest, which line's the shortest? Now you're like, can I do my own before I would get through that line, right? You play this game because you're so tight and you've got so many things to do and you're so spun up and wound up. We need this kind of assignment to just sit for five minutes. And I would invite you, just, just read one of the Psalms. Read one of the Psalms and then sit for four minutes after reading that, that chapter of Psalms. You could even, I'll give you, a, you can cheat, okay? Go to Psalm 117 or Psalm 134, okay? You could read Psalm 131, like I mentioned. You could Google the shortest Psalms in the Bible. I'll give you that freedom to cheat, okay? So you don't have a ton to read. Read, read you know, some of them are like 39 words. Like, it's not that much, right? You read more than that on one person's Facebook post. Like you could almost tweet the entire psalm, okay, and still be under the amount of characters that you need. So, so anyways, so go and read a psalm and then take four minutes and just sit and be still and just let God speak to you what you need to hear through that psalm and see what changes in your day. It's a simple discipline, but it can be a life-changing discipline too. A third thing, Psalm 116. Return to your rest, my soul. The psalmist is writing this as he's communicating it to his soul. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The challenge here is is just in those moments of being still, reflect on God's goodness, his provision. When you're bound up in worry and you're not sure what tomorrow holds, remember how he was good to you yesterday. When you're afraid, remember that other time you were afraid and then God took care of it in ways you couldn't have controlled. When you're caught up in the busyness, just be still and remember God is good. He's going to give you what you need to help you as you obey him. When you're in the midst of conflict, remember that he he gives you the capacity to, to have peace through the power of his Holy Spirit and to be a peacemaker. Whenever a storm blows into life, when you develop this discipline in the midst of when things are kind of even keel in life, when a storm blows in, you've already got these dis- this discipline of reflecting on the goodness of God to respond with. 
You remember when he delivered you from something. You remember when he kept your feet from stumbling. You remember when he kept your emotions at bay and you didn't explode all over that person like the old you used to. We just sang that song. I'm not who I used to be. I've been redeemed. You remember that moment where he gave you a a perspective on something you never had before and it changed the way you looked at all of it. You remember that moment when you, you think... When you, uh, you think about the people that God has given you that you're incredibly thankful for in your life that matter so much to you. You think about when God showed up when no one else could have or no one else would have even known to. And if you can't think of any of those others in the list, at least go back to that moment where he saved you, where you said yes in faith to Jesus. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Tell your soul, remind your soul the goodness of God. Reflecting on how good he is always brings a new perspective on what you're facing. Those moments of reflection, searching for those moments of God's goodness, it requires your soul to overwhelm your thoughts. You're taking thoughts captive as you reflect on God's goodness and his faithfulness. Now God's enemy, he wants you to be in bondage to your mind, where your thoughts run away with you and take you to places that cause your emotions to be in cages until they unleash on somebody else. The enemy wants you to wrap yourself up in worry and anxiety and insecurity, be in bondage to your circumstances, be driven only by by your physical appearance and to evaluate your worth and your value based on that. But see, God wants to help you learn to take captive your thoughts by the power of his spirit and to begin to work in your soul through stillness and pause and reflection. God revealed in Genesis 1, he was there in the beginning, that he's a creative God and that once we invite him and his forgiveness into our lives, he can recreate a whole new being. He can mold us into something absolutely stunning. But it requires that we move beyond the restless soul and discover true submission and trust in Christ alone. How do you do it consistently? Be still and know that he's God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him and reflect on the moments when God has been good to you. You decide to start making these practical ideas a rhythm in your life for this week, everything will change, I promise you. Everything will change. In fact, we're going to do something right now. I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to kind of start playing, and the lights are going to come down a little bit. And we're actually going to do these three things right now so you can get it out of the way. Rather than dismiss you early, we're going to take four or five minutes, and we're going to do it right now so you have an experience of what it is and, um, and you can also check it off today. I did it today, and, that, and then you can know what to do tomorrow, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Just kind of find yourself comfortable in your seat. Just sit comfortably in your seat and, and close your eyes so there's no visual distractions going on. I want you to invite you to just kind of begin to, to control your breathing in and out nice and slow. Big breath in, big breath out. You know, it's amazing how much when we're restless, we have shallow breathing, and that makes everything tenser. And when we just slow down our breathing, in and out, recognizing that every breath is a gift from God. The next breath you breathe in, a gift from God is goodness. And as you breathe it out, a gift from God. And I want you to just try to eliminate every other thought from your mind. Don't worry about the person beside you and don't worry about what you look like with your eyes closed and don't worry if anybody can see you push all those other thoughts outside repress your hunger to eat right now and get a cupcake in the youth room you know repress the fact that you have to go to the bathroom I get it take those thoughts captive I want to guide you through just a simple reflection exercise I want you to picture King David but I don't want you to picture King David I want you to picture Shepherd David 
tending to his dad's sheep. He's a teenager. And there's this wide open knoll, rocks everywhere. There's no fences at that time. But throughout the entire day, he would just be tending those sheep with a staff. And he would be on the lookout, looking out over the horizon for any predators, but he would just be still, looking at the blue sky and the sun in the sky. Maybe it's nighttime in your, in your imagination. Your vision of sitting there and just the stars. There's no other ambient light. And the stars are just alive in the sky. And he's just still. He's learning that stillness there before he'll ever need it as the king of Israel with all the demands on him. He's learning to slow down, to look up to the heavens and to see God's provision for him and his family. I want you to take a moment and, and now reflect upon your life before you met Jesus. What marked you? Before you said yes in faith to Jesus, what was the focus of your life? What was the driving desire that you had? Solomon says, what we do in our flesh is meaningless. Do you feel that in this moment? Like you look back on that, you're like, what was I doing? I was so confused. I was so upside down. And it didn't bring me anything that it, I thought it was promising to bring me. What were your appetites? What were your cravings? What did you fill your time with? What did you fill your body with? And recall that moment you heard about the Son of God, Jesus. That there was hope. That God saw you. That He loved you. That He died for you. Who was that person that told you? Where did you find that truth? What began to come alive in your soul at that moment when you knew Jesus was real, when you knew He was your Savior? Like a switch was flicked on for the very first time. Take a moment in your spirit. Just thank God for saving you. Thank God for, for rescuing you, for paying for your sin for seeing you in that old condition and not turning his back on you, not kicking you to the curb. But he saw you in your contamination and sin. And he reached his hand out and said, I've got something else in store. I want to forgive you. I want to make you clean. I want to make you whole. I want to forgive you. He was knocking on the door of your heart waiting for you to open it. Now I want you to think about how big God is right now. Just continue that slow breathing. How big is he right now? I mean, all of history was pointing to Jesus of Nazareth. All of it. And now, right now, as Jesus ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, he promised God was sending the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came here right now in this room. The eternal God is present. Access to Jesus is available to us right now. God is so big and yet he's so personal. He sees your life. He sees everything you're struggling with, everything you're carrying, everything you're battling, everything you're all spun up and restless about. He sees it all and he has solutions and answers for all of it in his time, but you have to be still. Know that he's God. You have to wait patiently. You have to continue to remember in the waiting that he's been good and faithful and kind and compassionate 
and generous to you. He wants you to hear his voice. Are you seeking it? Not just on Sunday mornings when it's convenient in your schedule, but he wants you to hear his voice daily, throughout the day, in different moments, when things are going great and when things are going tough. To sense his spirit is with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And now in light of how big God is and all that he's accomplished, now I want to circle back. Tell the God of the universe how big your problem is. Tell the God of the universe how big your struggle is, how big what you're facing is. Because in comparison to him, it's easy, it's small, it's light. And he wants to lead you through it. If you'll just be still and know and focus on him. Just sit there for a moment as we sing the first verse of this song. Think about these words. Come out of sadness. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay, lay down your burdens. Lay down your Stand with us as we sing the second verse. There's hope. There's hope for the homeless and all those who stray. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary. Rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow. The heaven can
there's joy for the morning. O sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't Sing that again. Earth has no sorrow. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't just as we are, just open your hands in front of you. Lord Jesus, we're amazed that you invite us with all of our hurts and our hang-ups and our struggles, with our sin and our baggage. You invite us to bring that before you and you trade it for glory and mercy and grace and freedom and joy and peace. The exchange with you, God, is so remarkable. It's beyond understanding it's it's divine that we bring you darkness and you give us light we bring us some bring you a mess and you give us yourself to walk with we thank you for that gift lord and i pray that you help us even this week to live out of that new redeemed recreated identity born again in the image of christ free of the restlessness with peace available to us as we be still and we know that you're God as we wait patiently on you and as we recall the moments in our lives, the goodness of God at work in every day your presence and provision for us in your mighty and holy name we pray, amen